And we're live with our 142nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my nihilistic, uh, <laughs> cynical, but always lovely co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, like we were just joking about fire. Well, we shouldn't be joking about fires, but just like how everything's going to hell. That's basically it. The end times. The end times. The end times. End times, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Seth and I are waiting for the locust to show up and then we'll we'll see what's. Which, which is why we're going to talk about static and analyzers, right? You know, static code yeah. analyzers, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a sign of the sign of the times, I guess, right? Yes. Talking about automated tools, the devil, automated the tools, devil's play, the, the, the devil's, devil's play. hands. Yes, exactly. But everyone, welcome back to episode 142. Uh, we're excited to be here and to talk. As always, uh, this week we've got Ken and I talking about a, a couple of different things, static analyzers, right? Automatic static analyzers. Um, we're going to demo PumoScan here in a little bit. And then we're also going to talk through some of the code review stuff because that's always a topic. And um, HTTP request smuggling, Ken wanted to go over that. Um, as far as the Black Hat course goes, there are still seats available if anyone wants to jump in. I were, you know, there's still some questions on that course, or if you have questions, feel free to reach out to either us or to Black Hat. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, Ken, you got anything else on on your radar right now? No, that's about it. Um, when the time comes, we'll talk more about the code. Actually, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just address this because I Yay! it's been yeah fine. Like, <laughs> screw it. I'm just going to talk about it. All right, all right. So so we because so GitHub people, released a product, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's like, okay, the security community is now talking about it online. And I feel like I'm not, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. But please let, I just want to let everyone online know, it's not like we are unaware that there is the potential for code to be produced that's less than ideal from that product, right? This is still an early beta product. I just want to reassure the security community that there are people with brains behind the scenes trying to, that have been from the very beginning, that are all working together to produce something that comes out, that produces sane, as sane as possible uh, code snippets. Um, but I, I guess why I bring this up is, yes, people have mentioned in our Slack channel a bunch. And like last week, we, we were like, you had mentioned there were some topics that were, or there were some things that were, we couldn't talk about. That was, this is what we were talking about when he said that. Um, it's because I don't want to go into a ton of detail about it at this moment, but um, I guess. So, well, okay. Okay. And I, it's I just, mean, it's just fair, like, right? okay. So I don't want to like, GitHub, right? Like watching it from yeah. the outside, it's been entertaining, right? Because it, it feels like, and to Derek's point, right? Like, He's being sarcastic, right? It's supposed to be perfect on the per first pass, but uh, like AI systems are only as good as the data that is being pushed into them, right? Uh, right uh, yeah. Like just in general, expecting an AI system to take insecure input from 
let's be honest, like most of the code that you're looking at is GitHub on GitHub is probably amateur code or it's, uh, you know, students that like this code that's out there is not like this most professionally written, like secure code that exists. And so taking that code and expecting the AI to generate something that's different than the code you're looking at is just the most ridiculous, it's the most entertaining <laughs> thing about, about the whole reaction to it, right? Like we've got these medium posts that people are like security communities like, oh, look how bad this is. I'm like, I know. yeah, but these are the same people that are going on Stack Overflow, copy and pasting into like, because they're security people. I, I don't know. We we in the industry we tend to cast aspersions on developers for the code that they write, mm. and then I look at security tool code, and I'm like, guys, guys, right? Like it, it's just like you, you're just as bad, if not worse, mm. um, because you're so concentrated on these few security issues that are your pet security issues that you forget about, you forget about things like availability, about stability, about the other stuff that most of the developers are dealing with. So. Sorry, I went on a rant. You were going on. You were going to say something else. No, I'm glad you did because, like, it let me calm down because I've been getting so freaking. So, first of all, I've been tweeted and DM'd and all of this about this. Like, it's all your fault, right, Ken? One was one was useful actually. One one of the tweets was act. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's like my personal fault that. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, so like, um, I got a. One one tweet was actually useful. It was it was very legitimate. It was like the one of the code snippets that we were that we have uh, for for our site um, had some. It wasn't huge weaknesses or anything like that, but it, it, it like pointed to a URL that's no longer um, valid. So I passed that actually along uh, to our teams. So that 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 was a good call out, and I think I thanked the person. Um, but most of the time, it's seriously been just like people assuming that nobody like no like as if we're just clueless about it. Like, and I'm just as if like no one was like, hmm, this is a possibility. <laughs> AI generated code based off of GitHub data. Yeah, like there's there's there were there are more concerns than just that too. So, uh, but anyways, like it's just been it's just been funny. So the, and and then, and that's the thing is I keep getting also questions about like betaing it and all that stuff, and I'm like, look. This is a product in development. It's supposed to be a way to make it more efficient to write code. Obviously, between code spaces being the like, you know, visual or VS code uh, in the browser, but through GitHub and then making that a seamless experience with, um, you know, being able to just open up a, a repository and have the app running immediately, uh, which is actually something you can do. Yeah. And then, of course, having that autocomplete feature, all of this stuff is kind of driving towards making it easier to develop code. But is it perfect? Yeah, absolutely not. These are concerns we were already aware of, we're already working towards. So it's just like, I don't need any more fucking DMs is all I'm saying. Stop DMing me about Copilot and your like take on it. No offense, everybody. I know it's in good spirits, mostly probably in good spirits. I've seen some that didn't seem at all like they were coming from a good place, but... Just know that yes, there are people dedicated to looking into this, and 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 not just looking into it, but like there has been an eight. I've been part of the process since we very first heard about heard about like this even being a possibility of something being developed. So I can tell you that all throughout the roadmap, there has been plenty of points where many, 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 many concerns are being raised. There's many, many different avenues on how to tackle that. It's complex, as you can imagine. We're talking about AI, right, and producing code and also doing and you know 
beyond just the secure code aspect, there's other things like, you know, just the, I think everyone remembers Microsoft having written a bot that was on Twitter for a day uh, that said some pretty <laughs> heinous shit. <laughs> Turned out to be uh, less than PC, yes. It went from, oh, I don't even want to, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Um, so we're all aware of the concerns there. That's not like it's completely unknown. But anyways, I, I think that a lot in a lot of cases, it comes from a, like totally a good place. And in other cases, not so much. But it, either way, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I, that's all I really can say. I can't say all of the things that have gone on behind the scenes to, you know, make this better long-term yeah. a better outcome. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, there, there's been some interesting comments in uh, in Slack, right, on it, uh, as far as training up to what to see what is bad, right, as well. Like, there's a lot of good learning that's going on, both from like the AR, AI perspective and from like from the people perspective on how to train things up. And I, I feel like half of what we do when we're looking at code, like looking at bad examples of code, Ken, is we're training our own like intelligence yeah. as to this is bad. This feels bad, right? Like, I, I mean, how often do we say that in the course that, you know, to trust your gut? Um, and that's right. basically what we're trying to teach the AI to do here is, oh, trust your gut, but we're giving you all bad examples to trust your gut. So what is it going to do? It's going to spit out bad examples, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I don't know. It The, the kind of system that it, that you're developing is going to be it's going to be pretty sweet when it actually when it's when it's completed, right? And expecting it to be perfect right out of the gate, I, yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't been released GA, and so that that that's why all the hot takes are, were so entertaining to me on I the know. outside. It's just I was like, ooh, I'm glad I'm not dealing with that because I know, yeah, I know the sort of crap you're going to be getting for it, um, and I've seen a lot of it on Twitter. Like it hasn't been. I'll just <laughs> like, <by>. yeah. <laughs> Still by. Don't get me wrong. And we're, not even because I'm paying attention to Twitter, because people are sending me links to this stuff. So just like, to be fair, flip side of the coin. When uh, here's the good part of that, though, there is a good part to that. When the security community lambasts a product for not doing something right, and leadership cares and watches, and people pay attention, it does raise the awareness of like. Because you know, I here's the thing. It's the same thing as with security research. Like defenders can say all day long that you should do this, you should do that. And like, that sounds vaguely okay. Good suggestions, great, whatever. But when someone shows you that like, oh, hey, they told you to do this, you didn't do that. And I'm not saying that's the case with this product. I'm just saying in general, I'm speaking in general terms. The, the positive thing is somebody saying from the outside, well, well, actually, actually I can exploit this or actually that is like a you know, concern because of X, Y, Z. And you have multiple voices all kind of echoing the same sentiment, whether that's internal and you know, external, that's like, that's a good thing. So there's a, there's a, there's a positive to that. Of course, this is raising, I think even more awareness maybe, but uh, we still had plenty of awareness internally. And yeah, so it's, it's not like this is unknown. So anyways, it's just been, you know, one of those things that's just, like I, yeah, we'll see. There's, there's other stuff coming to, and people think this is a thing. Like there's going to be other stuff coming down the, I can't speak to any of it. Right. But yeah, you know, yeah, there's stuff coming that 
It'll get, yeah, there'll be more. There'll be more. So, <laughs> there'll so, be so, more. That's all set. There'll be more. There are more things coming out in the next year or two. So, well, and I, I mean, it's all good for me. That, that, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sorry you're having to deal with it, but yeah, it is yeah. entertaining from a dumpster fire perspective, right? Um, that everybody oh, jumps like on it. it. Yeah. I like it to some degree in the sense that, uh, uh, at least people care about the product. You know, like that's the thing. It's like if if you're no one gives a shit about some site that has three people that use it, right? But it, if you're but if you're like if you're I guess what I'm saying is if people are criticizing, you're also doing well as like being a platform to a degree, right? Uh, there's I'm speaking again in in broad strokes here, but you know, it means that people are using your product. They care, they're passionate about it. So I'm I'm happy in that regard. But yeah. Yeah. I don't need any more DMs. That's all I'm saying. I'm good. <laughs> please fine <laughs> oh it's good they're, they're coming they're coming don't worry about it <laughs> yeah well the best one is when i get tagged with like at github and stuff I'm like <laughs> <laughs> you and at github yeah like i'm like <laughs> i'm nobody dude <laughs> like, yeah but uh you know this is github right, anyways this is funny it's just funny yeah. <laughs> whatever so, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> You're going to go walk through Puma Scam. Puma Scan. Not Puma Scam. <laughs> Puma Scam. It's not. Oh, sorry, Eric. Are... Sorry, Eric. Um, sorry. Yeah. I, and actually, before we did that, I wanted to talk about uh, static analyzers or auto- automated static analyzers and kind of where they fit in the secure code review process. Um, because as much as we bag on them, right, I still have a tendency to use them for certain aspects of code review, right? Um, The one thing that I found over time is that I don't use the tools that generate tens of thousands of false positives. Um, And that's, I mean, I I think that's partially personal preference, but over the years, I've learned that having false positives is almost as bad as having false negatives when it comes to these automated tools. Um, it, from a developer and security professional perspective, it ends up wasting our time because I'm weeding out tons and tons of false positives rather than spending time dealing with real security issues in the applications. And so the tools that I tend to focus on are those that give me actionable data and don't give me uh, like the the signal to noise ratio for uh, you know real vulnerabilities to false positives or false negatives is uh, what it, uh, now I, I can't even figure out the sentence but is high right like my signal no, uh, ratio is high so that I have something that I can actually work on and there's a couple of these new static analyzers that have come up come out over the last couple of years that help in that process right. So number one, uh, we've had Clint on a couple of times, uh, SEMGREP, right? Just the ability to, you know, distill down the code to small snippets and doing almost a, just a regular expression with some code awareness has been super helpful to identify security issues. Uh, the other one, and SEMGREP does not support .NET, right? Uh, so the other one that I've been using lately a lot has been PumaScan. I've looked at a lot of .NET and .NET Core lately, and it's been super useful. Uh, so I wanted to show that really quick, and we'll, we'll we'll get Eric on again soon. I know they've got updates and other things, um, but let me pull up. 
Um, yeah. I, and I, just I, go I, load it up. Yeah. What? Just going back to what you said real quick about like uh, creating a lot of unnecessary noise. When you all were talking in Slack a couple days ago about the smart bear recommendation to do 400 lines of code at a time uh, or an hour, sorry, 400 lines of code an hour. Some, uh, one of, one of the folks, one of the, the folks had said, um, sorry, I'm trying to go back up to figure out their name, but uh, somebody had mentioned basically that like the trick is to find out what 400 lines of code to, to, to basically review. And I think that's like a good sent. That's a true sentiment and kind of true with like the scanner. You have limited amount of time to do what you've got to do. And if the scanner's redirecting your attention down rabbit holes that don't make any sense, you've completely wasted that target, that 400 lines of code an hour. I think it was Cole. Hold on. Sorry, I'm coming up. Uh, nah, I can't remember. I have to keep going through the Slack channel to figure it out. I want to give them credit, but that was a really, yeah, it was a smart and true statement, I feel like, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the code base that I pulled down, I just went into like awesome.net core projects or awesome.net projects or whatever and pulled down this mini blog. This is one that we've used in the secure code review course. And can you can see my screen here? It was Duncan and I, yes, I can see it. Okay. So I pulled down, uh, this mini blog. I've also got like NOP commerce and we can look at that one if we want to as well. Um, but the first thing I do is a restore and one of the things I was excited about is the fact that PumaScan also has a VS Code uh, plugin as opposed to just a Visual Studio plugin, right? Uh, so I've been able to scan more things even on uh, even on Mac OS as opposed to you know having to fire up VS Code in you know Windows, right? It's made things a lot easier. And you'll notice if you do, if you open up the uh, the command prompt, right? Uh, there's a Puma scan, start scan. It's just one of the extensions that you can install. You can activate a license. You can get a trial license fairly easily uh, from Puma scan, and they'll give you, I think, 15 or 30 days to play around with it and see how it actually acts. Um, but starting the scan, super simple, right? It does the analysis in the background. There's also plugins for this for CICD pipelines. Uh, but the, the thing that I like about it, right, and this will just take a, you know, another 30 seconds or so, is the fact that the output is very succinct. Like it's the same sort of stuff that we look for. So it all pops up in problems, just in normal output. And you'll notice here that some of this is going to be, some of these are going to be false positives. Some are going to be, you know, valid issues. There's probably, there might be some false negatives, right? Uh, but we know that. And where this fits in the secure code review pipeline is this is not the only thing that I'm doing, but it's giving me hints about what's going on. So the first thing is constants.cs. It looks like there's a password variable uh, that's being used. Uh, obviously, that's not a, a sensitive secret. In this case, um, it's just you know part of the model that's being used. All right, we can ignore that one. That's a false positive, right? But as we jump into the controllers that are there, like we always talk about identifying controllers, identifying different decorators that are doing authorization functions. And this is pulling the, those things out for me, right? I didn't have to go through and figure out that they're using this like authorized tag for, let me see if I can find one here. Yeah. So this authorized tag uh, as a decorator for functions that they want to protect, 
it's already figured that out. It knows about knows that it they should exist. It knows that these routes are there, um, and it's anybody can uh, at, can execute this function because the authorization attribute doesn't exist. And then it's also missing anti forgery tokens as well. So there's different issues that that are popping up from PumaScan. Um, I probably would have found this in a normal code review as it is, as I'm looking at the different controller files that are that exist and are out there. But it also gives me indicators of things that I should be looking for in other controllers as well. And so I'm finding that I'm using these, like PumaScan when I'm looking at .NET applications, I'm using that sooner in my code review pipeline than I do some of those other tools that give me a ton of false positives where I'm just kind of doing a validation after the fact. I'm using this as one of the indicators of, hey, it shows me where the routes are. It shows me what sort of decorators are being used. It's informing my code review, which is awesome, right? Um, I mean, we that's could one of the things we, yeah, go I ahead. I mean, because just because like that's just to give people a complete picture of the end to end review. Typically, when we talk about static analysis tools, that's at the end of the process, right? It's to, you've already done like, you've, you've already done all the things that help you know how this application behaves, how, and one of those things early on in the process and the, the profile or sorry, mapping part of our process is to not only identify what are the key authorization filters, but where are they applied and where are they not applied? So you do a negative search to see if like, like Seth was saying, if an authorization filter say like, You've got an administrative controller. Everything in there should require administrative permissions. Maybe another control, controller inherits from that admin controller, fails to apply a filter or does an exception and says these this filter doesn't have to be on these routes uh, mistakenly. Whatever the case may be, when those are missing, that's something we want to identify pretty early in the uh, <clears throat> process, which is interesting that this tool does that and then that, so that can, I guess, see why that would then fit earlier on into the process and not at the end of a review because you're getting that mapping and that negative search result right there. And same thing with like you, you talk about the CSERF tokens. It's just another yep. authorization filter. Yep. Yep. And I mean, this one looks to be completely valid, right? Like you're posting to a comment, you're creating a comment, but this person is not logged into the app, into this blog, right? Um, so this is one that I actually question. Hey, this is probably something that you want to take care of from a you know a mini blog perspective. Some of the others are like are just lookups, right? For you know, get requests for the categories or the actual. Okay, those are those probably should be anonymous, right? Account uh, controllers, we could jump in there as well. Okay, a login, right? That's probably okay. But some of the other things, um, right? Uh, log out. Oh, it looks like those are the only functions in there. So never mind, right? But right. I, I don't want to get too deep into that. Um, but I did want to show how easy it was to use something like PumaScan to help in that process. So good job to Eric on getting that out. It's it's actually all pretty valid when you start looking at it, like the redirects that are in there as well. Um, they're getting some encoded link that may or may not be controllable, right? Um, but it does look like a redirect, redirect location that's coming from the user here as well, like models.post. So, um, yeah. yeah, for all we know, that could be base64 for like 
you know, normalization of the, the, the data, you know, sometimes there's weird data that gets in the URL. So people just solve that by doing the base 64 encoding to keep it all uniform. And so that the like routing mechanisms that receive requests don't, you know, hiccup and throw a fit. Yeah. Yep. But we'd have to jump into what Git encoded link actually was, right? It looks like it's under models post and that's more, you know, that we, than we want to do today, but speak for yourself. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm just, just a manager just, now. I don't get to review as much code. <laughs> anyway, go check out PumaScan. If you have more interest in it, um, we can connect you with Eric. We can have him back on the, um, yeah, on the, the podcast as well. Uh, it's very interesting talking to him as he's kind of created this small utility that is super useful. So if you're doing .NET code, you should be looking at it. Anyway, that's my plug for PumaScan. We'll stop sharing there for now. Uh, we can jump into other topics now, unless you had other, unless you had questions on PumaScan, Ken. No, just wanted to uh, actually uh, just wanted to reiterate that um, invite link for the Discord because Derek reminded me actually, uh, not purposefully, he just happened to remind me uh, to. It reminded me to say this because I was talking to Derek, uh, also side channel chat. Um, I, I, my Slack is seriously running really slow. I think it's this camera. I don't, I don't know why, but my Slack instance goes nuts or my Slack, uh, app with when I'm running this 4k camera. So if you have that link, Seth can reap, cause I literally like, I'm having the hardest time just scrolling back into chat. So this is just a nightmare. I don't know what's going on, but, um, anyway, so just cause like that's this discord, Seth will find the link or Derek can post it again. But, uh, Basically, it allows you to, we talked about last podcast, this is a feed in Discord of all kinds of different news sources for security. And like, I was going through it this morning, just because I was interested and it was super, and I, actually, I think maybe the the request smuggling might have come from there. I don't know. I, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, I was just going through it because I was really uh, just curious and it was really awesome. So it's, yeah, it's good feed. It's a good set of feeds that they're pulling from. Yep. Yep. Derek's done a good job on it. I know it's just kind of a pet project for, for him. Um, but I, yeah, I, like I'd much, I'd very much like to see it continue, right? Um, in some form or another, Derek, right? Uh, it's been super useful and interesting to me because I, I we, we always talk about how Twitter used to be more research-based, uh, from an application security perspective. And I don't see quite as much of that on Twitter as I used to, right? Like five years ago or even 10 years ago, there was a lot more kind of security research and interesting topics popping up and it's gotten a lot worse. I, I don't know how to, how else to say it, right? Like it's, it's become more drama based and other things. So finding good sources of research and data in the space has become more difficult. So get informed is great for that. Uh, we've all, we always plug TLDRSec from Clint as well. Uh, there's there's a number of different newsletters like that that are great, so. Yep, sweet. Cool. Um, I need a GPU farm for Slack. You're right. Like, I don't know why Slack is so, has such issues when I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm sure it's something to do with Chrome rendering and whole like stream of input coming from the camera but it has just been wild to try and use slack and stream and it's really only once we start going live on Streamyard that it becomes like a, a massive issue so mm -hmm. i don't know mm -hmm. 
Anyways, uh, yeah, so like real quick, I had seen this tool pop up. That's why I was like, oh, maybe this was from Discord. It could have been from somewhere else. I really don't remember. I draw from a bunch of feeds. Um, so anyways, this uh, this tool, there is Smuggler for... Um, is Smuggler or Burp? Yep. Yeah, yep. Burp plugin. This is a different tool to test for uh, weaknesses on request smuggling. And I figured since it's been a couple of years, maybe we just real briefly cover what request smuggling is. Um, but yeah, anyways, I saw this tool and I was like, oh, cool. Like it kind of just reminded me that, you know, this attack. Request smuggling is a thing. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> it literally just reminded me. <laughs> Everyone needs to remember Ken is a manager now, so we got to give a him a manager. little bit of leeway. And yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I do coffee and spreadsheets, bro. That's Co- what I'm all about now. Coffee meetings and spreadsheets. That's right. Oh yes. my god. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> just real quick, we were talking about this morning. It's kind of funny. We went to uh, for for the next uh, month. I think we're going for we're going we're doing this like every Friday off. So we only work Monday through Thursday. And, uh, but what that's, what that's meant, and, or at least in the first week that I'm seeing is just like a ton of meetings get slid into the other four days. <laughs> so I was looking at my calendar today. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna get anything like done in terms of like hands on keyboard done. Anyways, that's just an interesting byproduct. The first week of experimenting with the four day work week. So uh, nice. anyways, cool. Cool. So, I guess I share my, I don't know how to do this. I guess just share my screen. First of all, here's the uh, article link that I'm going to look at here just to um, put the, uh, I would say the boss, I'd say a uh, low level. He is, he is a cog in the machine. I am a cog, cog in the machine. I try to tell everybody I'm a nobody. All right. So, and, and this one was on uh, Port Swiggers, you know, top 10 for I think 2019 right yeah and that's it's just interesting sure it is it's it's a really interesting attack right um and in the article they even mentioned that, that it first popped up in what 2005 right watch fire way back in the day um and then was ignored for a long time so james brought hey, uh, james kind of brought it back with um, some of the research he did, some of the tools that he implemented in Burp Suite, um, but then also, yeah, 2019, right? DefCon 27 is when he talked about it. So, yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you go ahead and explain what it is, and we can dig into it from there. Yeah, I'm trying to share my screen here. Um, if I can figure out how to use computers. Um, okay, so you should see. Let's see. Yeah, okay, cool. So just real quick, like I did want to cover because this this attack does hinge on two headers. Well, they're super important. I just want to like show what those are. So um, content length is the first one. And the second is transfer encoding chunked, right? Chunked is the directive that matters there. So first off, content length. I think we all know on this podcast and everybody listening knows content length is just a directive saying like, hey, I'm going to send a message in the 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 message is gonna is gonna have this specific length, right? They show a post request here, and they uh, have like the zero, I guess, uh, as the body of the post request, and they've got a, a length of six. Um, so that's the content length, right? That the the application expects. Uh, 
and will process ideally that amount, right? Um, the transfer encoding is more about breaking up and breaking up a single request into multiple requests, right? So you're saying, and I think you do it. Uh, I think you do that by specifying it in hexadecimal format. So you're saying like, hey, this is uh, this is what the the value of this uh, is now, and based off of content length and the the remaining value in the next request, you know, use transfer encoding chunked. At least that's my that's my understanding. Which is fine if you're sending it to the same server, right? If there's nothing sitting in between, like if I'm literally just running a web server on my machine and I'm sending requests to it, that's fine. That's going to work fine. There's no proxy on my machine that sits between the web server. There's no load balancer. There's no, there's nothing else. But this is pretty much what this is uh, talking about. Those when you have like providers um, like Akamai or something like, along those lines, when you've got a load balancer, when you've got uh, reverse proxies, when you've got systems that sit in front of your web server, there's a disconnect, right? And that's kind of what they talk about. So well, I'm just trying to see which. Uh, so yeah, this is a good example, I guess. This 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 one kind of I can talk through and use this this diagram. So imagine blue and green are two different users. They're both sending a request. It hits some system that is the front end. We'll say it's a. We'll just say it's like a Akamai. I don't know. We'll we'll throw that out there. So you, you've you've essentially got you know two requests going through the same system. They're going to be routed to the back end. And how this works is it tries to pre prepend some uh, some. Two basically, it's combining two requests together and the front end only recognizing the first request and the second request being forwarded onto the back end. And there's some interesting byproducts of doing something like that. Is there anything you want to say? I'm going to pause for a second, Seth. I don't know if there's any clarifications or anything you want to say. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the interesting thing here is it's not just those large services like Akamai and others that are that are vulnerable to this, right? The more research that's being done, most of the apps that we roll out nowadays, we talk about like an N-tier architecture or a three-tier architecture where the web server, what the clients are interacting with is something like Nginx or is some sort of reverse proxy that makes these calls back to application servers behind the scenes or web services or microservices or Kubernetes or whatever else, right? And so the reason this has become more of a thing is because we are using that front end and um, they weren't set up properly in order to mitigate against this sort of an attack. So that, that's the only thing I wanted to mention is it's not just those large sites that are vulnerable to this. It's actually a lot of smaller sites that are trying to do multiple things from a single domain where they run into issues. Yeah, they talk about web cache deception here. And I think that's really, we've talked about this one before where it's, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the the, the actual technology, but there's a, uh, basically there's a way to cache requests and cache all honestly the responses. So only like, basically multiple people could be sending the same request. And this is for like a, like, a lot of times for static HTML content that maybe doesn't have any changes or has like one piece, one small piece that changes that's variable data. And so everything is cached. And if your request matches previous requests, it'll just give the previously cached response for that exact type of request. So yeah. um, I think they do talk and touch about that, touch on that at the, I, it's I cache poisoning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. But uh, so that's one. But I think this second diagram really illustrates it really well, right? It shows 
the attacker is effectively, you know, they got their normal blue requests and then they've got their, that, that orange portion is the nefarious arbitrary content. And it pollutes this, uh, you know, up here, we've got our two different um, people's requests. Uh, and here it's, it's polluted. Um, you can see the second user's uh, response data. Now, what, you know, you might like, I was thinking about, you know, okay, what are the, if you're, if, if you're really messing around with the, the response, right? Like that's a big part of the value here is actually getting um, the response that you want to be shown to someone else uh, to be shown to them. But what is the value if you do do that? Well, some of the examples they show are um, redirection, which I thought was very valid and very interesting. Um, if I can find it. I think it's towards the very bottom here. I'm going to have to scroll a lot. Sorry for those folks that have to put up with this scrolling I'm doing. Uh, yeah, so for one, you can trick people into like, you know, producing, you can provide different content. I'm sure you could like uh, fish or, you know, grab some, grab some data and have them, basically you could easily populate a form, have them fill it in and send it to your server, right? That's one way. Um, but another thing they show is kind of like redirection and some cry, eh, you know how I feel about cross-site scripting, but uh, <laughs> so they show some of that here where they're uh, doing some of that. Yeah, they got the, the old alert that we talked about last Alert week. Fox. Print, you know, print. Now That's what print. we're doing now. Yes. Now it's going to be print. Uh, but anyways, so here though, they show actually you're leveraging that 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 uh, JavaScript in the being rendered in the page to perform an arbitrary redirection off to a, uh, an attacker site. So that's actually pretty interesting. But one of the things that uh, I, I think they, that I was curious about is to use this request smuggler tool because in order to not, in order to test for this vulnerability, say you're a bug bounty researcher and you want to test it on a site, but you don't want to like actually impact other users since that's typically out of, that's typically explicitly laid out as a rule that you can't affect other users. That's why like denial of service and anything that relies on you using. So like if I have insecure direct object, re object reference and I exploit that vulnerability on another one of my test accounts, fine. If I do it on a valid user and I, pull down their data, well, and then I submit to a bounty program, not cool, right? Not cool at all. So the tool and the methodology that he kind of shows here, he walks through basically like how to, without impacting other people actually, um, uh, yeah, te test for that. Um, so Anyways, I just wanted to bring some awareness to this vulnerability or this class of vulnerability and this whole article. It's too much to talk about and I think you should really read through it. But uh, yeah, just some interesting, cool stuff and something that, um, I don't know, man. It was just interesting to me to, to, to sort of read through. And again, um, well, actually, it, popped, it popped back up because of that new command line tool, right? Right. It, um, that was based on the research or yeah. So I, I'm, I'm wondering, right. That request smuggler, it looks like cargo install. So it's some sort of rust implementation. Um, mm -hmm. like is it, was there something new from that, that it was doing or just a, a re-implementation of what, um, what James re did? Okay. Uh, re-implementation in an automated way that, that isn't, that isn't going to affect other people. Cool. So that's, yeah, that's the, it's basically, uh, yeah, that's, I think, the, the value of it. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks fairly fairly simple, but it, it's a I don't know, like I, I I dig those small tools that you can use like that for simple tests rather than firing up all of Burp Suite at times, um, even just to replay and understand what's going on. Right, because uh, because I, I know a lot of times, like we have a tendency as security people to load in all of the different Burp plugins, and then it's spitting out a whole bunch of data and stuff like this gets kind of uh, put by the wayside, or uh, I'm not quite sure why it's working or what's going on, and so I may or may not include it, and uh, yeah, so right, so so well, check so- out that that tool. Yeah, and and the specific way that he shows, and I was trying to pull that up. The specific way that he talks about here is causing a timeout on the back end, and I, the the way that he does that is by basically having a this 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 short content link that says, "Hey, you know, here are the two values in this post request." Uh, you can see here on the screen, I think, and then that queue, which is like so, because he's got the transfer encoding uh, chunked directive. By the way, I should mention James, who wrote this, is actually coming on the podcast in September, yeah. so that'll be a really fun one. Um, I can't yeah i like honestly like i I can't wait for that so it's gonna be really fun anyways back to it so uh basically because of the transfer encoding chunk directive the application knows to wait for another request and because no other request is sent and there is no other data and there's just that you know content that you see in front of you um the system will time out and that's the way that uh you know he tests to make sure that tests without Test to make sure that the vulnerability is there without actually affecting other users. I'm sure it's prone to some false positives for sure. I mean, I'd have to imagine, but um, still pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Just wanted to raise some awareness back to back to this vulnerability. That's all. Cool. Yeah. Good. Um, let's see. What else is on our list then? Right. I don't think yeah. anything else was on our list. Oh, oh I mean, I, I think yeah, I might have thrown some things in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Orange Psy... Uh, released his web challenges, right? The stuff that he's written. Um, he dropped it up on GitHub. Uh, and this is always here. I'll I'll throw them, throw the links in there, right? All of these Orange are. Sai is a badass. Just for anybody who's not familiar, seriously, really, really badass. Like, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's yep. all I can say. Yeah. That's all I want. <laughs> I mean, you can see, you could just type in, you know, orange sci and like uh GitHub and you'll see why I'm saying that. But yeah, this orange sci has a, like a long history of doing some really cool things. Yep. And these are all of the CTFs that he's personally written for different events, um, which are, it, it, yeah. And it goes into stuff that I, like we don't necessarily deal with all the time. Right. As, like the code that I review is mostly web centric, right? So at times it doesn't go quite as deep as what he's looking into, right? Um, mm. But it, yeah, like you want to learn how to do some of this stuff and actually push your brain. This is the way to do it um, is to start with some of these CTF challenges and understand why it works. That's the hardest part is okay, right, he's coded this up and releasing that allows us to look at the code behind the scenes as to, all right, yeah, it's great to solve one of these CTF challenges, but understanding how it's implemented behind the scenes as a defender is invaluable um, as someone who's looking at code. Because then I start, I again, you, you can train your AI to look for similar code snippets, right? I feel, I feel like that was directed specifically <laughs> at one person. 
I don't know. I, there's only two of us on the podcast, so everything's directed at you. So I guess today, that's true. At least. <laughs> Felt very targeted. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, yeah, man. Actually, uh, I'm good to to kind of cut short today if you're if you're uh, if you're amenable to it. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah, think we have too much that we need to go through. Nope, nope. Um, like it's been a good discussion today. I, I know we've covered quite a few different things, um, but please feel free to speak up if you've got any questions. But um, as always, please join the conversation. Jump into Slack or you know DMs. Ask Ken about AI. That's what that was my <laughs> takeaway from today. Son uh, of a bitch. <laughs> You dick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. I mean, don't ask Ken about AI. I just got confused there for a minute. Uh, All right. (laughs) Good times. Um, Jump into Slack, right? Like, let's continue the conversation. Let's talk about desync attacks. I I mean, I'd like to see somebody using those. Uh, Let us know what your experiences with desync attacks are. Are they, you know, the request smuggling attacks? Because um, I have seen it pop up a few times. Uh, oh, that was going to be my question to you before we we end. We end is if you're seeing those come through the your bug bounty program, have you seen any request smuggling attacks? Oh man, that's a great. I know. Or that can when you that even first... talk about it? Yeah. No, I can. Um, yeah, actually, there was web cache. Somebody had found. Yeah. Somebody had they let's let me actually pull up uh, not now, obviously, but uh, oh, actually, that brings up a good. So let me finish that thought. Uh, next time we do the podcast, actually, I'd like to run through some of our coolest. Um, I'll, I'll throw that in there. And I think that there's some cool because we had like a blog that was uh, Greg Osa. My boss wrote a blog that post that was really awesome that talked about seven or eight years of history of GitHub bounty. And he put in a bunch of like cool uh bounty submissions that came through i don't know did i share it on the podcast or did i just put it on twitter i can't remember i don't i don't think we actually talked about it you might have dropped it in the chat one day but i don't think we talked talked through what that was so that would be a great one to reiterate i I could be forgetting though too i mean this is 142 so but let's i mean Yeah, that's the thing. That's the problem with the long running podcast is that it gets hard to remember what all was talked about. People people may not have realized, may, may or may not realize that. But like, um, anyways, I want to, yeah, let's walk through that and then I'll talk. Th- yeah, here it is. I found it. I'm going to post it, but uh, we'll talk through it. And then um, I'll throw in some extra cool ones that were my favorites and uh, some web cache deception related stuff as well. So um, <laughs> we need to buy it to talk about. Hey, I, yeah, sweet. No, no. Yeah. I don't think you've posted that one before. So let's do, let's, let's talk about it and um, we can, we can run through that next week and maybe demo a couple of them. Uh, that would be interesting. I'll, I'll dig through it as well. But if you've yeah, got another topic, if, if anyone listening has another topic they want us to cover, please let us know. Sweet. Cool. All right. But, but uh, we're not on next week. So we do have to, figure out when we're going to do our, we'll, we'll set, we'll put it in the Slack channel. Like when we're going to do our next podcast episode. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm actually taking vacation next week. So um, I may not even have internet access where I'm at. We'll see (laughs) that you shouldn't summer is the vacation time. So that's, yeah, it is what it is. Is what it is. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Thanks for interacting and we'll see everybody online.
Later.